So this guy's known as the best military writer in the country, and he has led the New York Times bestseller list for decades. A former U.S. Air Force captain, this author got his wings in 1978. But he really took off flying in 1987 with the release of his first novel, Flight of the Old Dog. And this guy hasn't landed since. (laughs) To date, he's written 25 novels and continues to write some of the most suspenseful, intriguing military dramas you'll find anywhere. I'm happy. Hello, folks. I'll cut that out, but I'm happy to talk with author Dale (laughs) Brown today. How are you, Dale? (laughs) I'm doing great, Greg. Good. Thanks very much for having me on the show. Absolutely, sir. Um, This is Greg Grasso, and you're listening to Chapter One. Today we're with, uh, uh, yep, the best military writer in the country and has been for uh, many, many, many years, Dale Brown. Um, Dale, we're here to talk about your latest book, Starfire. And um, uh, I'd like, uh, if you could, in a, in a few sentences or a couple minutes or whatever, why don't you explain this book? Sure. Uh, Starfire is about a, uh, the first arms race between the United States and Russia in space, where the United States wants to, to militarize and industrialize Earth orbit, and the Russians uh, want to stand in the way. They want to... to uh, stop the U.S. progress in space. They want to stop uh, all American man exploration of space and, and Earth orbit and the moon, and they're going to do everything they can to stop us. And, uh, and uh, the book is meant to show exactly what could happen if, if the United States does not start its, its uh, manned space program again. If we, if we allow a lot of private companies want to get in the business of, of, uh, of a manned space flight, but the but NASA and the government seem to be standing in their way. And I, I, I really want Starfire to be a wake-up call to a lot of folks saying that, that we need to get back on the stick with the space program. seems like we've, we've let it languish for too long. We made the mistake of, of uh, not having a replacement for the space shuttle when it was retired, and uh, I think that's going to hurt us. Yeah, when, well, when you look back in history during the Kennedy years, um, Kennedy started the space race because Russia was uh, Russia had actually led us in technology, if I remember. Absolutely, and, and they were Absolutely. they were going to head to space. Well, they actually did head to space first, uh, but we were the first ones to orbit around the uh, moon. I think it was. Yeah. Well, yeah, we're the first ones to orbit around the moon. First one to land on the moon. Right. Uh, but uh, but we've let. So we've let it all go so far. It's it's uh, uh, the uh, the constellation and the Orion programs that were meant to replace the space shuttle were were put on hold. Right. Uh, some components of those those two systems are still being experimented on, but but basically the program's been canceled. Uh, we've got several companies that they want to build uh, a man rated spacecraft to be able to take uh, astronauts up to the International Space Station. And even back to the moon, but uh, but those are private companies not really receiving a whole lot of support uh, from the uh, from the U.S. government. Mm-hmm. In fact, NASA seems to be standing in their way. So I so I'd like that to stop. I'd like to, Starfire is sort of the first the first warning flag being raised about what could happen if if I mean not only if the United States doesn't doesn't get out of the way of of a private competition and privatization of space but but what if the russians decide to to completely shut us down then then what would the conflict be like if the if the opening shots of a 
of a conflict between the United States and Russia is is fought in space. Well, we've been down this road before, haven't we, with Reagan? He, he, he developed the Star Wars program. What what the hell happened to that, Dale? <laughs> you know? Well, the, so the technology the technology involved. We're starting to see all that all that Reagan technology. Yes, all the stuff that the President Reagan promised back back thirty years ago. We're starting to see that now. Unfortunately, when he made the Star Wars speech, which I remember very well, yes, um, that that was one of the genesis of of uh, Flight of the Old Dog, where the where Russia or, or the Soviet Union rather was was using a ground based laser to attack American spacecraft, mm-hmm. and the the other uh, mission the the flight of the old dog, old dog zero one, the old, the other uh, modified B fifty two bomber mm-hmm. was in response to that. They were supposed to take out the, the other uh, ground based laser site without starting World War three, mm-hmm. and it was uh, so that was the whole genesis for my for my writing career was was Reagan's uh, Star Wars speech in nineteen eighty three, mm-hmm. and uh, but we let it we let it slip by. We people started to think that that as the shuttle was getting older and we never returned to the moon that. That um, that the space program was over, and we should we should spend our money in other places. And and uh, but now we're starting to see exactly how wrong we were. That 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 we we pay the Russians fifty million dollars per person one way to go to the International Space Station, and and our astronauts are crammed into a tiny little uh, spacecraft, no bigger than the front seat of a car, and and that's how they get back and forth from the. From the International Space Station, it, it's it, it's mind-boggling crazy to uh, to think that we're. I don't think we ever charged anybody to ride in the space shuttle, but but the Russians get to charge us, and we seem to be happily paying it for us to go to the International Space Station. So I so I think it's nuts. We need to we need to change our focus. Space is going to be the future of the U.S. military, and and I think the future of of high technology on Earth. Will be Earth orbit, will be uh, be points in space where where spacecraft can can orbit for very very long periods of time, and eventually the Moon and Mars. But 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 we need to start investing in it now in order to uh, to start seeing it within uh, ten to twenty years. Well, where did all the money go? I mean, um, for the past ten years, we've had boots on the ground, you know, funding funding these little wars that we've been involved with um you know the the country's going to pot um i don't mean marijuana but the (laughs) country's going to hell and uh uh, you know you're kind of right i when i when um i followed this i i followed kennedy's years you know i I bought the models and put the gemini capsule together you know blah 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 me too yep and when um (laughs) and when they started talking about the space station you know, the first thing that came to my mind was, hey, that's that's a great idea because if we get a, ever attacked um, from a nuclear threat, we can send uh, the president and, you know, somebody else up there, keep them safe. But the, but the space station has, has turned into a multicultural uh, lab, hasn't it? I mean, we've got, we've got people from all, all countries up there. Well, what <laughs> I don't get it. Well, well, what I did back back when I started writing uh, my second novel, Silver Tower, yes. was about a military space station. It was the it was the combination of what would become the International Space Station and the old the old Skylab project. Mm-hmm. And, and it was supposed to be a semi-secret 
uh, a military program to actually have a actually build a military base in space, mm-hmm. and, and the opposite or or the other objective of the of the space station was instead of the space shuttle bringing uh, satellites back to Earth to be repaired and then relaunched. Mm-hmm. Why not have the repair station up in space where you just bring the bring satellites that, that need repair to the space station? You have astronauts up there and engineers who can fix them, and then you stick them right back into orbit without having to bring them all the way back to Earth. So, so, so this is a concept that I've been working with, uh, you know, 23 years ago, and uh, and I thought all this within that that 23 years, this would be accelerating to, you know, breakneck speeds. Unfortunately, the uh, the uh, the Challenger disaster and and Columbia. And uh, that set us back several years, and then, and then, yes, you're right. The the uh, uh, wars in Afghanistan and and Iraq have really, really sucked the money, and really sucked not just the money, but the energy out of the American people. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that's going to take some time to recover, and we need to. But we need to 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 look beyond that. We can't look at past wars. We have to look at future conflicts. And that's what I do in Starfire. I I think the next big conflict between between Russia and the United States and China and other nations will be in space and in cyberspace before it actually before the fighting actually starts on Earth. Yeah, a lot of people think that China is a big military threat uh, nowadays. I I honestly don't see them as a military threat, but I do see them as an economic threat. Um, uh, Russia. Well, I see him as a. I see him as a military threat, not a not a global one. They're certainly not a global superpower. True. But but they have the ability to start throwing their weight around in areas like the South China Sea, the the uh, the, the the Paracel Islands, the Spratly Islands, mm-hmm. and, and even Japan and mm-hmm. the Philippines and Vietnam. So they they're definitely a, a regional player. And if they wanted to, they they could certainly be a a uh, continental player, mm-hmm. if they decided to to mobilize their 100 million man army, so yeah. so so the other force we're going to have to deal with, mm-hmm. uh, but but yeah, we have to look at Russia right now. Russia, uh, I mean, Al Qaeda is a serious threat, and North Korea is a threat, and Iran could be a threat, but but Russia is the only nation on Earth right now that can that can literally destroy the United States of America, and and so that that has been our threat for the past 50 years. It will continue to be our threat until they they change their ways, which I definitely don't see them doing. They're, they're always going to have the same geopolitical problems they've had for centuries. They, they, have, they have undefensible borders, and they have people from France and Sweden and Germany and, and uh, you know, Finland and nations all over, all over Europe invading them because it's so easy to invade them it's, it's very easy to to uh, to uh, cross the north european plains and invade russia so they're going to have so that's why they build these these buffer states that's why they used to used to have the baltics and that's why they have have uh, moldova and that's why they have ukraine and, right. and countries like that they want to build uh buffer states to uh to to help their self-defense if they if they completely lost ukraine then then NATO would only be 150 miles away from Moscow, and that that's completely unacceptable to them. And uh, I mean, right now NATO is only 
a hundred miles away from from St. Petersburg. So, so, so that's completely unacceptable to the Russians, especially to a guy like President Vladimir Putin, who who doesn't want you know who who grew up and made his bones in the in the Cold War, and he definitely doesn't want to see see Russia slip away like they did in the 1990s. Yeah, Russia's Russia's kept the old guard in for centuries. I mean. Um, it's still the same old mentality. It's um, absolutely yeah, which absolutely. for that. the for the very same reason because they need yeah. they need buffers. They need to to exert themselves in their near abroad in order to protect themselves because their their borders are completely indefensible. So mm-hmm. so it, it, it's too easy for tanks and aircraft to roll across the border mm-hmm. and attack Russia, which has happened to them many many times over the centuries. So so they need to do something about it. Every Russian slash Soviet premier is going to do the same thing, build those buffer states up, and uh, protect the periphery against against potential invaders. So, so what what Putin is doing is no different than what what Soviet and Russian presidents and and imperial kings and and queens have done over the centuries. Is they're going to protect themselves. So, so what he's doing is no surprise whatsoever. What still is a surprise at how far he's going to take it? Is he is he going to occupy all of uh, Ukraine, or is he just, or is he going to be content to just let it sort of languish as a as a neutral nation, you know, not Eastern and not Western? He certainly isn't going to let it tilt towards the West, and he sure is as heck is not going to let it go into NATO. So, so, but exactly what is how far is he willing to take it? I'm very glad to see President Obama send more troops and more aircraft uh, uh, into the NATO nations around Ukraine. He uh, he should have done that on day one. Uh, you know, it's taken him several weeks to do it, but at least he's done it now, and he's he's shown at least a little bit of resolve to uh, to do something if Russia decides to push further further west and take over all of Ukraine. Wow. Um. Yeah, that's scary, isn't it? <laughs> to me, it's scary. I I, I grew up in uh, East Coast and uh, you know neighborhood. Uh, I'm Italian Polish. Uh, the next door neighbors were Castilian and uh, and uh, Czechoslovakian, and then Russian and whatever on the other side. Anyway, I'll never forget. I'll never forget this old lady. When I was real little, never trust the Russians, never trust the Russians, no matter what they do, never trust the Russians. I didn't know what the hell she was talking about till I hit my 30s and 40s. And it's like, yeah, Aunt Betty was right. You know, <laughs> don't Absolutely trust right. I grew in the very same neighborhood and we were, I mean, mostly Irish, but we had a lot of Italians mm-hmm. and uh, it was, it was a very mixed neighborhood and a lot of folks that, 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 I mean, we're we're less than a generation off the boat, and mm-hmm. and um, it was it was a great place to live. But yeah, you got a lot of those those ideas back and forth. Nobody really liked the Soviet Union, but what they liked, I think, was was the control, was the central government, mm-hmm. and they liked the fact that that people feared the Soviet Union, and mm-hmm. that that uh, our adversaries respect strength, and they see any sign of weakness. Any sign of, of, well, we don't want to be a superpower. We want everybody to be equal. They see that as a as a weakness that needs to be exploited because of their own geopolitical necessities. Yeah. So when when Obama does this, 
you know, reset button thing. I mean, that, that must have been like red meat to a guy like Vladimir Putin, saying, saying the United States wants to reset our, our relations. How, how much weaker can you get? And, oh, man. and the fact that he m- misspelled reset on the button in, uh, in Cyrillic was even worse. You know, so it's, it's uh, he, superpowers just, just can't do that. Superpowers have to be superpowers. If, you're, if you want to be the leader of the free world, you have to lead. And if you're gonna, if you're gonna be involved in Syria, if you're gonna be involved in Libya, if you're gonna gonna stand up to Iran, you have to stand up to them, and you have to make make decisive actions and and back them up with military force if necessary. You can't you can't come out uh, against against Russia and the Ukraine thing and and say right off the top that the military action. It, is not on the table. You simply cannot say that right off the right off the bat. You say the usual diplomatic things that that they always say. You, no option is off the table. Everything is in play. That's what you're supposed to say. You're not supposed to say military action is off the table. And it's it we we weakened ourselves even more by doing that and we've created another huge hole in the Ukraine that that I don't know how it's going to get get filled. I think we're going to lose we're going to lose Odessa. Mm-hmm. We might lose more than just a few cities in the east. We might lose the the entire eastern half of that that country, and, and then we're going to have to contend with those forty thousand Russian troops that are right now inside their own border, right. uh, that much closer to uh, Kiev. Right. Well, I bet the Joint Chiefs were just peeing in their pants when they heard <laughs> <laughs> can you imagine that i mean i can I mean, you can just see their jaws dropping you, open it, absolutely did he just say that absolutely <laughs> and then <laughs> why don't we just all go home now yeah, yeah, they, we, and, yeah then they, need us. and then they went out to dinner that night and they plotted <laughs> <laughs> like they've done in the past oh man yeah 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 i know man i uh um I was at Balboa Hospital in the 70s as a corpsman after I got out of uh, uh, – I went overseas at Diego Garcia with the Seabees. With the, uh, and uh, um, I remember hooking up – well, my uh, my admiral was Admiral Aronson, a little guy about five feet tall. But, boy, that <laughs> son of a bitch. You don't want to mess with that guy. <laughs> I think he was a rear admiral actually. So I think he got his – yeah, I think he was a commissioned rear admiral during uh, one of the wars. Anyway. Oh boy, here we go again. Uh, so we, yeah, I guess we are moving into a new era. I, um, I do a lot of military reading, and I like bios. Uh, Jim D. Felice is one of my one of my favorite writers because he writes good bios. Uh, he just did one on sure Bradley. Does, yeah. Bradley was real good, and Omar Bradley. Yep. Yeah, he, that was, well, he's my co-writer in the Dreamland series. Serious? I he, didn't know that. Obvious. We've done, we've done sixteen books together. We we had the longest running. A military techno thriller series going right now. Shit, sixteen novels, and we're we're working on the on seventeen and eighteen right now. Well, I I, I, I interviewed he and uh, Larry Bond uh, last okay. year, and I called Larry Bond the best techno thriller writer. So I'm gonna have to change that. <laughs> Actually, Bond <laughs> is very good. Larry's very good. Larry's very he, good. Yeah, he certainly is. Yeah. He certainly is. You guys kind of write, you know, you're writing the sky stuff and he writes the water stuff, which is kind of cool. You both have amazing backgrounds in the military and uh, uh, I guess you still keep in touch with a lot of folks and agencies to get some meat if you need it in your books, don't you? Not really. Oh, uh, hmm. 
uh, you know, being on the West Coast, I think if I was if I was back on the East Coast, yeah, that's where all those guys guys hang out. So you know, that's where that's, that's where Clancy was, and all the, you know, those guys. There's there's a few few of us on the West Coast, but not that many. And and um, no, I really don't. I I've known Stephen Coons for many years. He mm. yeah lived in Las Vegas. I used to visit him down there. But mm. but uh, but no, I'm I live in Lake Tahoe. I, mean, I live up in the mountains. It's, it's. Uh, I mean, I do a little bit of traveling. I do a lot of charity work and mm-hmm. and volunteer work. But I, I work. That's what I. <laughs> that's what I do all the time. I'm I'm here in the office and mm-hmm. and almost always here in the office. Are you writing a new, another book? Yes. Yeah. Number twenty six is underway. Wow. Wow. What are you got any? You got anything for us on it, or you don't want it, to say? Uh, it uh, it's being inspired by what's going on in Ukraine right now. It's not, it's not set in Ukraine, but but mm-hmm. what could happen if the uh, if the Russian president decide to to uh, to retake you know, basically retake the Soviet Union, you know, mm-hmm. rebuild the Soviet Union, mm-hmm. exactly what they would look like and what NATO and what the United States could could do about it if if we could do anything about it, mm-hmm. and and, uh, and what the countries in the region would would do also you know nato i thought nato was formed uh to be this international peacekeeping uh, arm and um i'm always seeing nato getting in trouble <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I mean who's pulling the strings <laughs> well, nato was originally designed to be be a collective security against the soviet union mm. so this this peacekeeping role that it adopted—I uh, don't know if it was the other uh, Serbia uh, conflict, mm-hmm. might have been before that, may have, but might have been a little bit of Vietnam. Right. right. Uh, uh, I mean, maybe a little bit of Korea, even. But, mm-hmm. but uh, it was—it was meant to be collective security for the, uh, especially for Western Europe against the Soviet Union. That, that, that Article Five saying, saying if one country is attacked. All countries are are attacked, meaning that that if if uh, Soviet tanks started to roll westward, then the United States was bound by this treaty to respond and start sending in weapons and even possibly using nuclear weapons against them. So that was that was the whole idea behind NATO. Where we picked up the peacekeeping role, uh, I'm pretty sure it had to do with Serbia and with the Kosovo conflict, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. but. Uh, it wasn't supposed to be a peacekeeping force. It was the only, it was the only force other than whatever, whatever the uh, United Nations could put together. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, they were the next, you know, they were the next step up from whatever na- uh, the UN could put together. Mm-hmm. But I don't think it was ever designed to be a peacekeeping force. We adopted that role. Uh, the United States accepted it and became the domineering force in it. So much so that. That the other nations in NATO started to decrease their defense spending because the United States had, had stepped up, and we had forces in Europe, and and we were contributing all this all this stuff to NATO, so they didn't have to do it anymore. So they didn't, and and, and that's left NATO so weak now that that Russia has no problem whatsoever threatening threatening Ukraine, even threatening the Baltic states, threatening other other nations in Eastern Europe. Well, because they know that that NATO can't do anything about it. Don't don't you see though? Well, I, I you would probably know a lot more than this uh, than I do, but uh, 
I remember back in the 70s, uh, I, when I got out of the service, I, I went into the, the uh, defense area, contract um, area. I, I helped uh, – I worked with big um, uh, defense contractors like GDE and Cubic and Teldyne Ryan and uh, Boeing and so mm-hmm. on and so forth. I worked on the Titan missile, cruise missile, B-1B uh, um, and – I remember in the 70s, we we started training the Syrians, the Jordanians, the Iranians, the Iraqians. We were, we were supplying them with, with training for their pilots. We were, uh, you know, we had, we had camps in Saudi Arabia on the Red Sea. Um, or not camps, but uh, uh, bases. Um, sure, absolutely. You know, you go back in history, we... we Pretty much everybody that's tried to screw us, we've helped prior to. <laughs> so, so when are we going to learn, Dale? I mean, I, you know, you bring up the Russia thing, which scares the hell out of me, and I agree with you. Um, I think Putin played us uh, this past year like, uh, you know, um, well, just played us. And oh yeah, yeah, like a fiddle. Yeah, I mean, he, there he you sure go, has. like a fiddle. And so, yeah. I don't know. I mean. Uh, why do we keep going down this path? <laughs> because, because I think the the, uh, the U.S. military is always seen as this this endless money pit, yeah. and uh, to whenever they want, whenever the politicians, whenever the White House wants money for some other pet political project, seems to me they always look towards the towards the Pentagon first, mm-hmm. and the and the U.S. military suffers as a result of that. Mm-hmm. And uh, now, it, I. I simply can't explain our involvement in Iraq. Um, it was it was mind-boggling to me. I I couldn't understand why we didn't didn't bomb the hell out of Tora Bora mm-hmm. instead of bombing the hell out of Iraq. Mm-hmm. I mean that that seemed to me to be the logical choice. It it, it, it seemed to be a, a a great target. It was an isolated target. Mm-hmm. Uh, some low yield nukes taking out Tora Bora could have mm-hmm. could have very easily taken out Bin Laden. Mm-hmm. Back then, and that certainly would have sent a message to the rest of the world, mm-hmm. saying, "saying, saying, you attack us like you did on on nine eleven. This is what we're going to do to you." Mm-hmm. We didn't do that. Instead, we invaded Iraq, which made absolutely no sense to me, except for the fact that 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 now we, you know, at the time then, we had two thousand tanks in Iraq ready to reach out and and touch not just Iraq but a lot of other countries in the area, and. And we saw other other regimes fall. We saw we saw Gaddafi basically you know, surrender after that. So, so that was the only good thing that I could see about the invasion of Iraq was was now we had all these tanks and all these these troops there. Um, unfortunately, they were they were running into IEDs and getting getting blown up left and right, and that was unfortunate for. Uh, I mean, the uh, we were played there too. We were we thought that the Iraqis would would open their arms and welcome us as as liberators and and the exact opposite is true because we believe that the that the Shiites would would welcome us and that the Sunnis would would back away and it's the opposite happened so so we got we got bogged down in Iraq and we didn't really have a very clear idea what we're going to do there i think i think strategically there there probably was an idea that 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 okay we're going to we're going to leave troops in there for a long time and and have a presence like we do in Japan and in Germany, and we'll 
we'll be able to make the Middle East a more peaceful place by having a, a persistent American presence there, just like in uh, uh, South Korea and Japan and Germany. It, it just didn't work out that way. We weren't welcomed like we thought we were going to be, and it just turned into a horrible quagmire. So, so that wasted a lot of time and a lot of energy and a lot of money and a lot of wasted American lives. And that set us back. And then, and then, of course, politics gets, gets involved in it, and, uh, and now it's, it's let's gut the military, let's do sequestration, let's, let's stop these programs, let's cancel the space shuttle, but, but, but also cancel the replacement for it, and let's not have anything else in the, in the pipeline, and let's forget about space, and let's forget about, about military modernization, let's forget about shipbuilding, let's, uh, let's forget about the next generation bomber. Uh, let's let's keep on building aircraft like the F-35, which is which is you know meant to fight the first Gulf War, let alone the second Gulf War or Afghanistan. It's you know absolutely nutso weapon program, but we're we've got to, we're stuck in the past, and we need to to break out of that, or else we're going to suffer as a superpower. Yeah, we we did things a little differently during World War Two. We we got to the point where we said enough is enough, and then you know, unfortunately, dropped the bomb on uh, Nagasaki um, and Hiroshima. But and that did end the war quite abruptly, didn't it? Um, <laughs> sure did. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, I think uh, I think it's harder nowadays. You know. Um, uh, we go back with our relationship with Russia, which goes back decades and decades and decades. Uh, um, you know, thank God Russia kicked uh, kicked Germany out of Stalingrad, uh, even though they murdered thousands of their troops as they were going into the into the bay, but um, were offloading on the ships. If you remember that, um, oh yeah, yeah. You will not come back. One, you take a rifle, you take the bullets. Your rifle goes down. You pick up the rifle. You keep going forward. You turn around. We're going to cut you down. Yeah, different kind of war, man. Different kind of war. Um, well, listen. Um, darn it, crap. We're 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 out of time. So I'm going to darn it. <laughs> I'm going to have to get you back on the air, bud. If you don't mind. I'd love to do it. I'd love to do it again. Yeah, I I, uh, I enjoy talking to you guys. Uh, uh, all right, well, listen, folks, um, we're talking with Dale Brown. He's got a new book out, Starfire. It is, um, it, it kind of, uh, it's a very plausible scenario about the arms race in space with Russia. Uh, we've been down that road before with Russia. Um, it's a great read, and uh, we're looking forward to Dale um, coming out with another book. Uh, Silver Tower, did you say? Uh, or Silver Tower Silver, was the second novel. That was the. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I, I'm reading the wrong notes here. Um, the, the the your next book is about again. It's in the works. It's it, uh, that's right. It's based on what's going on in Ukraine. That's but, right. Sorry, but uh, but I've got I've got the United States again reluctant to get involved in a in a foreign conflict. So okay. so it forces some of the other nations to do something about it. All right, sorry, man. I'm gonna to learn to write better notes. <laughs> Jesus. Well, Dale, it's been a blast talking to you. I really appreciate it. Um, I want to get you back on the air again, and um, we're on iTunes now. So every time you talk to me, we're going on iTunes, which is kind of cool. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. 
I'll keep in touch with you, and um, I wish you the best, sir. I really appreciate your time. I got a lot of respect for you. It's my pleasure. Thanks very much for having me on. Dale, thank you very much, sir. You have a great day, and be safe. You too. Thank you, sir. Bye-bye.